They say the world can be hard, cruel, and ugly. Trust me, it gets worse if you're hungry and thirst. Doesn't push you from position, last place to first. Can't build a foundation without having feet in the dirt. So I put in the work, grind harder than most. I don't chase accolades of the living, I'm facing a ghost. That's what makes me the GOAT. Depending on who you ask, my brother, whatever task. Got it covered like a mask, guaranteed they can't see me at the open run. Cause I cook competitors until they look well done. Don't act like you don't know where I held from. I had to climb up out the trenches, sit on benches, throw my time and come. Don't be mad at the player, be mad at the game. Sneak this in the hating, that's a flag on the play. Me falling off, huh? That'll be the day I'm like, bolt in the race, leave the track, flambe, it's the open run. Things end. It is inevitable. As I get older, it's harder to think about the end. Especially when you realize you have more past than future. The end is inevitable. And I'm not saying this to be morbid. We can't stop it. They start and they end. I made a post this weekend about things starting somewhere when I created and taught the world's first university accredited course on hip hop culture. At some point, I won't be teaching it anymore. But I hadn't really paid for sneakers since 1986. Not that I need any sneakers, but in the event that I ever buy some more. I don't know that I will lament it when it's done. It just is. There's this movie that I really liked called The Truman Show with Jim Carrey. And he was living in this little bubble that he didn't realize he was in. Everyone else could observe his life from afar. I've often said that I wanted to make a movie about the life of a first social media star who was like that, who didn't realize he was in the midst of a social media bubble. I think I still will make that. But what point does that dream end if I don't? When do I come to a realization that maybe it's not in the cards for me to be the one to make that? I don't know. It's still a work in progress. But wish me well. As I welcome you to the podcast where basketball and life are one. It is The Open Run with Will Strickland. That would be me. The Open Run with Will Strickland is brought to you by the fine folks at One Neighborhood. One Neighborhood coming to a neighborhood near you very, very soon. I can be found across these rough interweb streets at W underscore Strickland and the number one on Twitter. Will Strickland and the number one on IG and across all streaming platforms where podcasts can be found. But right now exclusively at Anchor.fm, a Spotify podcast network. I wonder when my guy, the Hall of Famer, Joe Dumars, stopped being a bad boy and became the enforcer of discipline and justice in the association as he handed down a $50,000 fine to Sacramento Kings head coach Mike Brown for his approach toward a referee and his post-game video breakdown of where the referees were so, so very wrong. 50,000 beans is tough for that. But understand the integrity and the sanctity of the National Basketball Association must be upheld at all times. In the NFL, we call that protecting a shield. Same thing here. That's Joe Dumars' job now, to protect that. And I saw recently when Raptors head coach Darko Ryakovich was fined 25 Gs for a similar activity. He didn't rush the referee, but almost doing something and pre-criming was tough, Joe. That's a heavy fine for Mike Brown. I don't want to do what about isms and making comparisons, but shouldn't the crime fit the punishment? I don't know why I'm pocket watching a multimillionaire coach's finances right now. He can afford it. Plus, it goes to charity anyway. And some people are saying, like Paul Anthony Pierce, 
that Udonis Haslam's jersey retirement in Miami, UD, a cornerstone of Heat culture, had his number retired, not so much for his athletic ability or his contributions, although he does have three NBA championships and he did contribute to at least two of those. And somehow Paul Pierce had something to say about it. Sometimes we're better off minding our own damn business too, but salute to UD Udonis Haslam for having his number 40 retired there on Biscayne Boulevard. Who couldn't get on a boulevard recently? DeAndre Ayton, and right away the jokes came. He missed the game because the ice was too difficult to navigate for him to get to the arena. And people laughed right away because the reputation with DeAndre Ayton is being not the hardest worker on the planet. Somebody who doesn't have a lot of desire for basketball just has some ability and the fact that he's seven foot one. But when you look at the weather, there are people who really literally could not drive out there. The team actually sent people out to try and get him. They could not rescue him from there. That's a scary, dangerous thing. But we made jokes. I get it. DeAndre Ayton is an easy butt for those jokes. But being iced out of the game, tough. Something that came up that made me laugh about people, and this is going to end soon too, because while the chiding of DeAndre Ayton will never end because of this icing event, the career of the hashtag, he who shan't be named, at some point is going to end. In this 21st season, players he's defending in the league right now are only shooting 40.2% from the field. I did not stutter. That's not a typo. That's real. And somehow, well, let me move the goalpost because my ego is hurt that the hashtag is doing something that nobody else is doing right now. Um, Maybe it's because he's guarding the third best player in the court. They're still on the court. They're still professional athletes. They're playing the game. Now, if those third or fourth guys ever scored on the hashtag, they're a bunch of memes. Oh, he can't stop anybody. Look at him. He shouldn't be on the court. Jaime Hawkins hit that fallaway jumper in his face. He's a professional athlete. Everybody gets scored on. Or at least from what I understand. Maybe I'm missing something here. But whatever the case is, he's holding players defended to 40.2% from the field at 39 years old. Salute to you, sir. And at that age... Even before that, I started seeing erosion in my game. Things my mind was telling me to do. My body was like, yo, dog, chill out. And for someone who played at the highest levels of the game and played very actively with some of the top players on the planet at some point in time, whether it be a summer league or pickup or practice or tryouts or training camps, your hoops mortality comes into view when you start to see that erosion and your ego gets in the way. You need someone to help you get over that ego blow because that's what it is. There's no way this guy can guard me. Yeah, he can now. There's no way that guy can score on me. There is now. It's a hard thing to take. Kamon Looney was a top star in Milwaukee, one of the best players in the country in high school. Went on to have a decent college career. He was always injured in college. Ended up going to the Golden State Warriors, winning championships as a part of that core unit. I know everyone speaks about the glossy, shiny objects in front of you, whether you're talking about Wardell Stephen Curry II, or Clay Alexander Thompson, or Draymond Jamal Green Sr. But through all that, the anchor in the middle of that, for the most part, I think he's won three, because Andrew Bogut was there for the first one. He's been at the core for the majority of that time. And when he was having confidence issues, he went to a coach a couple of years ago, they had been hired on the staff of the Golden State Warriors by the name of Dejan Malojevic. His friends called him Deki. On a recent road trip to Utah for a game against the Jazz, during dinner, Malojevic suffered a cardiac arrest, taken to the hospital, died shortly after. 
he's 46 years old, that we don't know when things end mean something. That relationship, the relationships of all the players, from Darko Ryakovich, who made an impassioned speech about Milojevic, to Luka Lamar, that's with two R's, Nikola Germain, all the Slavic players and all the players who have been in contact with him, talked about this easy smile. And we always have nice things to say about people when they pass, for sure, for the most part. But here's someone who seemed to touch everyone, played 15 years international professional basketball, and his role was to be that guy you can lean on. And now he's gone. Maybe the Warriors dynasty is over. Maybe that's why Bob Myers got out. Maybe that's why Mike Dunleavy Jr. will have the most difficult decision of his early and young career as the GM of that squad and deciding whether one of those guys that was a part of that core unit will have to go. They're not winning, even with Draymond Green coming back. You don't want to count those guys out because anytime you have Wardell, Stephen Curry, the second you have an opportunity. But is that run done? One way or the other, no matter what, for the rest of the season, Decky will be remembered and revered by Warriors fans, by fans of the NBA, by fans of the international basketball community. It is hard to say goodbye. So we won't say that yet. But we'll come back for more on the other side of this with our special guest on the open run with Will Strickland. Back, giving you more of what you asked for. It's the open run with Will Strickland in conversation with, well, if you didn't know already, we got you stuck off the realness. You see that shirt? We be the infamous. Hey. You heard of us, official hey. sports casting murderers. There we go. There we go. Kill Talk again. about it. With the great Dexter Henry in the house. What's going on, my G? What's going on, my brother? I am well. Good to be here with you. You and I have chopped it up before in the non-podcast format, and that was dope. <laughs> so now we got to do it here in the podcast format. So this is great, man. Yes, sir. Now, as I do with each and every one of my guests who comes on the podcast, if you would, please, sir, run your resume. Let them know who you really are. Yeah, I like that, man. I like running your resume. You got to let people know the credentials. Let them know what you've been about. Name is Dexter Henry, as you said. I am from the great borough of Brooklyn, New York City. Big Apple. BK what? Yeah, BK all day. I have worked in sports journalism. I was just there talking about this other day for almost 19 years. I've been working in sports broadcast journalism. I'm currently the sports anchor uh, on the weekends for the New York Post and SNY Digital Partnership. I also do update anchoring for WFAN CBS Sports. You will also see me doing some play-by-play work for places like John Jay College, Monmouth University, Manhattan College, color commentary as well for that too. But got a long history working for different places like the News 12 Networks here in New York City, worked for the New York Giants doing some on-air stuff for them, Nets Daily covering the Brooklyn Nets. A lot of places, even I told Will this before, he did not know this. I worked for three years as a national weather reporter for AccuWeather, the first black national weather reporter in the history of that network. So that was an interesting time. <laughs> we could talk about another time. But uh, <laughs> those, are, those are the credentials in sports, man. I love storytelling. I love sports journalism. I love journalism, period. I've loved that since I was a kid. And I'm just blessed to be able to do what I love, man. And uh, that's that's been fantastic. Oh, one thing I forgot to add. I'm the founder and creator of Backpack Broadcasting, 
uh, my own media outlet that really sparked me to get to the places I would. And it's a big reason why I encourage a lot of people to support independent media, do their own media because it is done well, well for me. And I continue to still create my own independent content. Um, I've won a telly award for a series I have called Sideline Stories. So support independent content like Will here on, on, on the show, the open run, support that. Listen, man, segues much like tricks are for kids. And it was a beautiful thing you just <laughs> said, trying to tell you, when we think about independent content creators who actually are in the know and give you something that you can't always get from mainstream media, hmm. how important is that to the foundation of getting the right story told? My dear old dad, blessed dad, used to always say to me, son, the two sides to every story. And three, when you include the truth, always seek the truth. Mm. How vital is independent broadcasting and content creation to what we do in sport? Yeah, I think it's vital. And I will say another, I will add another layer to it. I think it's especially vital for black independent content creators, for mm. people of color, independent content creators. Because when you look at the numbers around media, and this is something I'm really passionate about, so I'm glad you're talking about it. When you look at the numbers around media, and I'm not even just talking sports media, I'm talking media in general, the numbers for people of color in different newsrooms, different outlets is extremely low. When you get to sports, I believe it's 6%. I think it's overall actually 6% of the sports media is black. So it, it's really, really terrible numbers when you think about it in terms of the population of black people, whether it's in the States, whether it's in Canada, it's really terrible. So the reasons of the first reason I think it's so vital, so important is you creating your own media is your way to get your voice heard and out there. Tell your stories, the stories that might not be told. And just so I'm very clear on this, it is not just about the people that present, the reporters, the anchors. The real place where it's lacking is in the decision makers, the people that are the producers, the executive producers, because that's why you won't see the stories getting told or the things you want to see. So a lot, Some of it can fall on the talent, but there's only so much power those people have. So when you create your own, you can tell the stories that you want to tell. Nobody can stop you from doing that. You can do it the way you want to do it. You can have the guest you want to have on. I'll take that a step further, Will, because when you're in a position like where I am now and the places I work, well, then what are you doing to reach back and what are you doing to elevate other people's platforms? Are you trying to put them on? Are you trying to put good voices on? Are you trying to have diverse voices on? What I've tried to do with my time at the New York Post and SNY, with the shows I do, the guests I have is bring on different people that you normally might not get to see or hear. Because, you know, quite frankly, tired of hearing from the same people. And I think that's why independent media for me is important. Not one, because it did so much for my career. Like personally, I have a very personal connection to this in that if I didn't start creating my own content when other people were refusing to give me opportunities, literally denying me of opportunities, I would not be here. And so I try to make sure that I that I pay it back. And I think you also don't know what's going on if you're not watching what mm -hmm. other content creators are doing. If all you consume is the same content from the same places, even for me as a journalist, that's not good because mm. you're not diverse in what you're you're hearing, you're listening to, the facts that are being presented or facts that are not being presented. You need to, I think, as a consumer of journalism, consumer of media, you need to make yourself as diverse as possible. So go find some independent sources, go find some different perspectives that might be a little bit different from your own or just in a way that is presented. I think all those things are good. So it's vital, but I think it's definitely vital for us. And I think it's definitely vital for us 
to continue to support each other when we see people doing independent works. One other thing I will add, Will, I'm not trying to be long-winded, but I think- No, 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 dude, this is your show. Yeah, I think far too often for a lot of people of color, they'll get excited about people when they get put on to these major platforms, Mm. but they won't support them when they're doing their own thing. And I think that's something that, that has to- that has to change in terms of the mindset of the support. If one of the things I tell, some people ask me all the time, they say, Dex, you know, you bring on other independent content creators and you support them. And I think that's really good and great. And, you know, why do you do it? I say, look, man, it's not just, I'm just doing it to put everybody on. I'm looking for people who make good content, who have Mm -hmm. quality, who are putting work into their craft, who are taught, it's the presentation of what they're doing. You know, and I, I try to align myself that with people whose shows I come on like, Will, you look at this show, it's a well-presented show. Will talk to me about the rundown, what we're going to talk about, how is it organized, what are the topics, getting to know people, all that kind of stuff. That's the same kind of level of work I put into what I do. So I only expect the same quality and level from other independent content creators. And so when I see that, sometimes I see that with people's like, man, they just need a shot. They just need mm. a chance to be seen. And unfortunately... At a lot of these major media outlets, if you look at it, particularly around sports, I'll speak to what I know. A lot of times the people that are coming on to be contributors, to speak, look the same. They're not people of color. And a lot of the reason is the people at the top look the same and they have no interest in actually being diverse and understanding that diversity actually helps business. This has been proven. There are stats around that. Everybody knows this at this point. So you have to ask yourself, if you don't see that reflected in media, it is purposeful. Just like 100%. it is purposeful and intentional on the other side to try to be uh, as diverse as possible and bring in different mindsets and different views and different content creators. So now, nah, man, I, uh, I, I'm something I'm very passionate about. I really am. I hope people could tell from me talking about this in this long winded right. way, but I really think it's vital. Like you said, it's absolutely vital and it's because we need to support each other. We need to elevate and diverse media is better media. 100%. 100%. And that I think your story is very similar to mine coming here and being involved and having been at every single major national network here for Mm -hmm. sports and bringing something they never had to that. And that dynamic was important because you said about representation mattering. These kids see us. Yep. And to be, you know, whether it's NBA TV Canada or TSN, which is the ESPN of Canada or Sportsnet, and having original content you created on those networks. But you started out in the early days of Black Twitter and podcasting Mm -hmm. in the 2000s, 2010s, early days. And to turn that into relationships with people from Balmani Jones to like these things were in the genesis of that. And to see other young people like yourself, I mean, you're younger than I am when I say young people, (laughs) um, and and, and doing these things and excelling, I'm, I'm like this. Strange, strange. Yeah. I think we spend too much time and energy saying, oh, man, they got that. Why can't I have that? Well, did you do the work? Yeah. Yeah. Did you do the work? Yeah. It, the, work, the work matters. It but really the work, does. The work is part of what you just said, too, though. Well, the work is also, I, I don't like saying when you, I don't like the, you made it to the top or you made it to a place. I don't, I don't really subscribe to that. But what I'll say is when you have, elevated in your career i'll put it that way when you've elevated in your career got to a certain place and there's always room to elevate i think the work too is are you doing what you said are you applauding the others you see on the come up are you helping them as well are you paying it forward 
I think that's that matters a lot too. You know, a lot of people, a lot of my mentors helped me, you know, put me to where to where I am. And so I'm very grateful for those people and I always salute them because sometimes it was, a lot, it was a lot of work that people didn't see that they took in time with me because they saw something with me. And so I try to do the same thing with my mentees and young young people that I mentor and and push that forward. And even people I just don't know is you you never know what could happen when you give somebody a chance or opportunity. It doesn't hurt to do that. It doesn't take much to do that. If you see somebody doing good work, it doesn't hurt you to give them a chance or or, or connect. You know, it can be something just simple like connecting. Yeah. When I introduce my guests and I always say they are the great, I lose nothing by telling you you're great. Mm -hmm. I lose I lose nothing. Right. Because I believe that you put people in your circumference that you feel like are great because you want to be great too. Facts. Right. And if you don't give that, if you don't encourage that, what are we doing it for? Right. So for me, it was important. If my ego were in the way when I first came up here, I would have never connected with my Canadian brothers. And I said, you know, nothing against anyone else, but I want to see people who look like me on television. And if I sit around waiting for somebody to give me a chance, I'll be sitting around waiting for somebody to give me a chance. So we mm-hmm. took ours. We made sure to be outstanding so we could stand out. Bars. Yep. So in doing so, now you have to keep that bar up. There'll always be people who see you keeping that bar up and they'll spend more time talking about what you're doing as you're doing and not really understanding the dynamic. Yeah. You know, to that to that point, yeah, you know, I always say the those who know know. The people that understand, understand. The people that are still going to support you are going to support you. I think in my experience, there's been, I think you you brought up a big word there about not having, and that's ego. Mm. Uh, when, you, when you strip yourself of ego, when it is not about you, none of this is about me. I love no, what I do. I'm, I'm going to stop you. I'm going to oh, stop you. Go ahead. Go ahead. It is about you. Yeah. Wait, wait. Well, well let, me, let, me, you. let me, let me, you know what? Let me rephrase that. It is not all about me. Okay. Yes. There are, yes, and you should big yourself up and understand what you're doing. Yeah, hey, I feel like I'm great at what I do. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've done great work. I think it is great to help to put people on. I think it's What's great that? to elevate people's platform. I am blessed to be in a position to do that. And not everybody in my position does that. I'm well aware of that as well, too. Mm-hmm. But I think it's being selfless to get to your point back about ego. I think it's being selfless to do that. And I don't do this for accolades as people could say oh dex yeah you did this no i do it because i think it's the right thing to do right i do it because i understand that our people i'm particularly talking about black people Mm. need this Mm. need we have to lead we should all strive to be leaders we all have the potential to be leaders in many different ways not doing it for the accolades not doing it for this and that that stuff is nice and i'm appreciative when people appreciate the work I'll say that as a journalist, as a sports journalist, yeah, it matters to me when people come up and tell me, yeah, I like that you did this. I love that no you doubt. had this person on. Yeah, of course that stuff matters because you know the people connect. If, people, if I do an interview and people tell me they got something great out of that interview, I'm like, man, okay, I did my job. It connected with people in that way. That's dope if that happens. Um, but, you know, it's, you're right. It, it, is, it is about you and what you do. I think, but that's the, that's the, that's the end of the phrase. It's not all about me. But it's about mm-hmm. what me me and what I do to help others. Yeah. So I appreciate you stopping room. me on that. <laughs> no, I just wanted to make sure that it, it is about us. Because if you don't love you, how can you love somebody else? How can you give them the kind of love they need to keep right. moving? Like right. it, so ego is a necessary thing. We all have them. 
to the degree yep. that we can regulate those egos matters yep. as well. And you talk about journalism. I'm surprised at the lack of conversation around the Josh Giddy case hmm. in OKC hmm. on mainstream media. I see a lot of independent media and a lot of people are like, okay, well, the police are taking care of us, a police matter. Well, okay, they found no criminal charges. But when you hired Gloria Allred, she's about getting you that bread, champ. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so while you're not, the criminal case is closed, per the Newport Beach police, the civil case is still out there. And you don't have to have the preponderance of evidence in a civil case that you need to have in a criminal case means mm -hmm. that the optics of them deleting all the conversation and communication between the two doesn't look good in a civil case for Josh Giddy. So when you look at this situation, you talk about journalism. Why do you think there's been such a, almost like a gag order on talking about Josh Giddy in this situation? Because he's been playing the whole time and they're one of the best teams in the league right now. I found it interesting as somebody who is a diehard NBA fan. I consume a lot of NBA media. I will be very honest about that. And I'm going to juxtapose this, and I'm going to say that I read and didn't follow as much, but I'm going to juxtapose this with what's going on with Wander Franco with the Tampa Bay Rays, mm. who also has been accused of being involved with an underage woman. And that's a whole nother situation because that involves another country in the Dominican Republic, right? So there's a mm -hmm. whole nother layer to it, but it affects the team he plays for and is paid for in America. I found it interesting that a lot of NBA media, and I'm going including podcasts that cover the NBA, there was not even mentioned. Some podcasts didn't even touch it, didn't even mention right. it. If they mentioned it, what they would say is something would come up about the Thunder trying to take the next step as a team and should they make a trade. And then Giddy's name would come up because he's probably one of their most tradable assets right. um, in that. And they'll be like, oh, well, but with stuff going on around him, who knows what his trade value is. Stop. That's it. Nobody would say anything else. There wasn't even like, and here's the thing. I understand. I will say this. I understand you have to talk about these things delicately. This is what mm -hmm. I will say. Because of a couple of reasons. One, there's an under, there's a minor involved. So you got to talk about it delicately. You don't want to, A, put out people's names, speak about anything and that, especially with, I get all that. But I think to completely ignore it is wrong and disingenuous. And you weren't also finding a lot of people outside of maybe from a legal standpoint. If you have, there's some legal sports analysts and people who I know that would talk about, well, what could happen if he was found guilty? I felt like outlets weren't even going there. Right. You know, and I, but here's the thing. I've noticed certain things when, things happen legally, what people are willing to talk about and not talk about in terms of the legal matters. You also have to wonder, and just because it's America, you have to wonder how much race plays a factor into this as, no, as, you don't. as well, too. No, you don't. Let, let's keep it a book. No, you don't. You don't have to wonder. Yeah, you don't have to you're, wonder, right? Because it's America. I mean, just the, the example you brought up is case in point, sir. Mm -hmm. When you Dominican Republic or whatever... I don't know that the same level of media, and I'm not going to speculate one way or the other, yeah. is happening on that case as it is over here. I feel like and, there's been, I know recently there's been more developments with Wanda Franco in the fact of that authorities down in the Dominican Republic were trying to locate him. And he's basically, basically he's been on the run. And that's kind of the difference with that situation as yeah. opposed to the Josh Giddy situation. However, here, okay, let's talk about the real difference here. Let's talk about it. And baseball is not as popular as a sport in America right now as basketball mm -hmm. is. But let's talk about this. 
when the news came out in August about Wander Franco, the Tampa Bay Rays, this is their all-star guy they signed on a shortstop on a, a second baseman, forgetting what position he plays, on a extremely great deal. They signed him. They shut this down. They were like, no, 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 no. You're not playing anymore. Mm. The Thunder didn't do this, and they let this play out. Listen, I encourage everybody to go look at the statements from the Rays. Mm. Their statement was, and I'm, I'm para-quoting here, we're going to let this investigation play out until this time. MLB came out with a statement. Players Association, Juan Franco's not going to play. He's going to be away from the team. I believe he was still paid. I do believe he was still paid yes. during that time, though, if I'm not mistaken. Josh Giddy, this stuff comes out. Josh Giddy, obviously, I'm sure by what his lawyers told him to do, don't say anything about it, which I understand legally, comes out. He still plays. Why does Juan Franco stop playing? But Josh Giddy continues to play. I find that interesting, very, very interesting. And you, there actually might be an argument that Wanda Franco's a bigger player in his sport than Josh Giddy is in his. And MLB, sh- and MLB shut this down immediately. So why not? Why not do this? I think where people are going to get mad, and if you just want to compare it on an NBA situation, at the end a- of the day, we're we're comparing. This mm-hmm. is not, not even about the sports organizations or leagues. This is about human beings. Yeah. And the fact that in some shape, form, or fashion, a minor was involved with an adult. Now, I understand Josh Giddy was like 19, apparently, when that happened. So if he's in, in the legal age of consent and this place is 16, in okay, Oklahoma, it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great in Oklahoma. But this happened in Newport Beach, California, where the age of consent is 18. Correct. Right. So there's a bunch of waffling about that. Mm-hmm. And that geography became this focal point. We call that the Potomac two-step where I'm from. The politically <laughs> tap dancing around yeah. what the, the reality is for whatever reason. Adam Silver said, hey, it's a police matter. We're going to step out of it. But we're issuing mental health warnings to the Kyrie Irvings and the Draymond Jamal Green seniors mm-hmm. for stuff they do on the court. And somehow they're mentally scarred. And because of that mental scarring, the actions on the court are a reflection of that. That's tough for me, personally. That's tough for me. So I'm not saying that Josh Giddy is guilty or not. I'm just saying the handling and adjudication, at least on the surface, mm-hmm. to me was uneven and very suspect. But Yeah. And I want to be clear, I'm not the person ever to be, and I know you're not saying this either, but I just want to be clear for our audience. I'm never the person to be like, because this person got away with this, this should right. happen here. What like I'm not, I'm not about that at all. Mm. I do think it's interesting. And I had to, while you were saying that, I was looking at something, because I remember Adam Silver had made a quote about this recently where he was asked, and he said that the league is basically never, um, they, they couldn't think of any circumstance where they suspended a player based on an allegation alone. Mm-hmm. My thing, and that may be true, because what came up to me was the Kevin Porter Jr. situation this past summer before the season started. We saw how that played out with the Rockets. Now, I know there were, I believe there were some charges that were eventually filed against him. But what's also interesting is he was traded to the Thunder, who then bought out his salary, and that was that. So that's also interesting, too. I'm not saying that the NBA definitely should have done something. But I would like to know from Adam Silver. I think this is the question that I feel like nobody has asked. Okay, Adam Silver, you saw how things played out with Wander Franco with the Tampa Bay Rays. 
why did the NBA not take the same action that the MLB does? And I'll usually praise the NBA for coming down on the right side of things on these things for the most part. Mm. But why did what was preventing you guys from doing what MLB saying, saying, hey, 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 this is serious. We can't have this player on the field. Why these allegations are going on and people are talking about all this stuff on social media. And yeah, it seems like they've stayed away from it. The NBA media at large has stayed away from it. Nobody's wanted to talk about it. I talked with another friend about who covers the NBA about this. It seems like most people just have wanted to stay away from it. I will, like I said, I don't want to speak out of turn because I, I, rem- I just feel like I know how baseball reacted. I can only speak to that. I'm not 100% sure of the all the coverage around it, but I, it feels like there was more Yeah, and, uh, and, and, around Wanda Franco. I want to look at that and say that since we're talking about Mr. Silver, there are things happening right there in New York City hmm. with James Dolan, the governor mm-hmm. of the New York Knickerbockers, mm-hmm. and allegations from a 2013 incident where it's alleged that Dolan and the infamous Harvey Weinstein were involved in some sex trafficking and some sexual behavior that was not warranted or wanted one way or the other. I won't go do a deep dive into the details about that, but when it happens for, with a front office person, mm-hmm. how does that handled internally at the NBA and also with the Knicks? How do you govern that? It's hard because, you know, even the Knicks, the Knicks for the last couple of years haven't had their president, Leon Rose, speak to the media. He spoke to them in over three years. People, mm. I talked to a lot of other media members about that. The NBA can't do anything about that. I think it's going to be interesting to see what comes with these allegations around James Dolan. Is anything done? But you know what? Well, we got to talk about this in terms of a broader sports perspective and a broader societal perspective, right? Mm. With all this stuff going goes on. As a society, we have shown in situations like this, and we can go through a bunch of stuff throughout sports, and don't even get me started on the NFL, (laughs) we have shown to not give a damn about women. Talk to them. And that's what a lot of this comes down to. Let's let's just keep it a buck. A lot of this comes down to and how this is covered, how this is reported on, we have shown not to give a damn about women. You can go back to Ray Rice with the Baltimore Ravens, Mm -hmm. and you can go back to other things, and people are more outraged. It's interesting to watch what people are more outraged about in sports. Mm. More people should probably be talking about what's been going on with Josh Giddy and Wanda Franco. But you got people mad that kids are getting NIL money and the transfer portal in college. More people should be talking about this, but you've got folks who are still mad. Colin Kaepernick took a knee to protest systemic racism mm-hmm. and racial injustice in America. Watch how people do that and then watch how things are covered and that tells you a lot. And 100%. watch... Who's who and who's not having these conversations. But I think this comes down to societally, like not caring about women, not caring about young women, particularly in this in this case. Um, because if we do, and I'm I, I gotta give MLB credit. I think MLB, I'll give them, I thought they did the right thing with Wanda Franco. They were like, nah, mm. there's there's a lot of smoke here. We are not trying to be attached to this. It, We're it's not trying different, to it's different though, as a player, you have a governor who's on the board of governors when they make all the decisions yeah. about the league and everything in the biggest market in North America. Well, let's not discount Mexico City. I have to step, yes, stop saying do that. that. The biggest city yeah. in the world yep. is Mexico City. But in the United States, the biggest market in the United States, media-wise, everything else, and James Dolan is there, and I guess somehow dealing with these things, nobody's saying anything. I, I, I find it interesting how it's being handled. But you know what? I want to get off of that and onto the soul in conversation with the great Dexter Henry here on the open run with Will Strickland. Let's talk about the moves that the Knicks have made that we do know about 
Uh, OG, oh my, OG Ananobi coming mm-hmm. over. And the Knicks' success over the past 11, 12 games, the defensive efficiency is amazing. Crazy. The opponent's field goal percentage went from like 46 to like 40, mm-hmm. all because of this trade. And that's why he was coveted over RJ Barrett. And, uh, you know, he's very thankful for what New York gave to him. But this is the trade they wanted. There, It's alleged that Bruce Brown was talking to Tom Thibodeau when they most recently played the Raptors, asking him to trade for him. That has been alleged. I talked to uh, Stephen Bondi, my colleague at the New York Post, who spoke with Bruce Brown actually before Saturday's game. I mean, he told me, you know, the, the vibe he got from Bruce Brown is that, yeah, trade could happen. After the game, Bruce Brown did say to the media that, he likes Tom Thibodeau. They had a conversation this year during free agency in a Zoom meeting. And he feels like he's a Tom Thibodeau player. Felt a little bit like Bruce Brown might be angling to try to come to New York. So there's a lot of talk about that. Will the Raptors and Knicks make another trade? I think that's interesting. There's a little redundancy in what he does and like Josh Hart does. Talk to him. So I'm not sure. he's. I like him as a player. I just want to be very clear about that. I like him as a player. I think he's a winning player. I think he can help a winning team. I do not think he will be on the Toronto Raptors uh, past February 8th. Because mm-hmm. I don't think there's any point for him when where they are going and trying to rebuild. But I think a lot of teams will be interested in him. The Knicks, Philly, you know, I think there's a lot of teams that can use him that he no can one, help out right now. No one will ever turn down a three and D guy because he's turned himself to that. What he did in Brooklyn got him prime for what he did in Denver. Yep. And I don't know if it worked in the same way in Indiana. He got his bread, no doubt. But I don't know if he was the fit for Indiana. He just found a place that was going to give him the money. Cool. And good for I don't him. know if he ever saw himself as a fit in Indiana long term anyway. Plus, plus, you know what? That man has to be happy he got traded from Indianapolis to Toronto. <laughs> That's a come up in itself. Um, I don't think he'll stay long in Toronto. But <laughs> no. no. No shade to my people in Naptown. But come on. We, we know what's up. Um, hey, Afghanistan will be on you soon, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Your cats call it Afghanistan. Yeah, man. We, I think the Knicks, though. With OG, mm-hmm. I mean, man, the numbers have been so good with him on the court. Defensive rating, 92.3 with OG Ananobi on the court. When he's off the court, it's 120.7 defensive rating. So it's night and day. That was, a, you know what? I was in studio when that trade happened, and I had my guys on CP the Franchise and from Knicks Fan TV and Jonathan Macri of Knicks Film School. They were in studio with me. And, you know, when that trade happened, they were so hyped, and it was a good trade. You know, I saw a segment of the Knicks population saying, you know, on, on Twitter and whatnot, ah, you know, this doesn't move the needle. This doesn't put the Knicks closer to the championship contention. I love the trade immediately because I saw – I felt like it unpacked what it's doing right now. Look, R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel Quickly, very popular players. The fans love them. You saw the ovation they gave them the other night. My daughter is a huge Emmanuel Quickly fan. She was sad to see him go. But, yeah, and they're missing some of the bench going quickly. I'm sure we'll get to that a little bit later. What they needed and what you love to have in this league is a big wing like OG who could defend, who could shoot the three. He can legitimately guard one through five. There's very few people in this league you can say that about. He can legitimately guard one through five. Also, there was a little bit of R.J. Barrett needed the ball in his hands more. He doesn't need the ball in his hands. That's where guys like you're saying, Will, with Bruce Brown, that's where they help teams. I think fans often think too much about just put this star together who's ball dominant with this guy, with this guy. And they think it's like playing – it's playing on the park. You know what I'm saying? Like they think like it's playing at Rucker or West Fourth. Nah, man. You have to have guys that fit and know their role or a specialist in certain things in the NBA. 
Mm. OG can do a little bit with the ball in his hands. He's not great at it, but he can hit that corner three. He can spot up. He rebounds well. He defends. He's a perfect fit. He's a Tibbs player. He's perfect fit next to Brunson and Randall. This, to me, for the Knicks, is one of those moves when you're building your team where you look back and you're like, ah, that was the one that wasn't sexy, that wasn't splashy, but it was good. Almost like, you know, move, I always, I always, when I bring this up, I always say to people, look at what Aaron Gordon was for the right. Nuggets. That's not the move everybody thinks it's the sexy move that got it, but that was a major championship move. It he, was a necessity for them to yes. do that because here's Aaron Gordon guarding the top guys because you, you don't want to have Jokic guarding the top centers all the time. Mm-hmm. Gordon's willing to sacrifice body and size in order to make sure that Jokic was fresh. And then he also started to find his own shot, corner threes. He's starting to get proficient with those. But his defense, his energy, his elevation, the ability to have somebody who can finish at the rim when Joker's throwing those alley-oops, meant mm-hmm. a lot to what they did. But he understood he was never going to be that guy in Orlando. Yeah. He's never going to be that guy. So when you buy into your role, when you buy into your station into the NBA, that's what made Aaron Gordon that. And I think that's a great comparison you just made about yeah. OG and Anobi being there. Yeah, because you look at Aaron Gordon, he's the fourth option on that team, but he unlocked mm. a lot. And this is the way I look at I, OG Ananobi. I think he unlocks a lot as well for the Knicks. And I think the Knicks are still going to make other moves and probably still try to get another star, which they're primed to do. Although I have more to say about that and their team building and what they can do. But I think OG Ananobi is a really good winning player that can unlock a lot of things for this team. And I thought that was a great trade. I also want to be rich. That's also a fantastic trade for Toronto. Like, I think we do this thing where it's like, oh, man, every time there's a trade, it's got to be a winner. It's got to be a loser. Sometimes it's a win-win. Like you know, Indiana, Sacramento. Yes. And you know what? I was wrong on that. I thought that was a terrible trade for Sacramento. Mm. I, I loved Halliburton, but it ended up working perfectly for both teams. I was wrong on that one. I thought Sacramento lost that one. This mm-hmm. is one in the, in the immediate, even before they played games, I was like, oh, this is a win. People will say, oh, well, Toronto's not winning. It's not about this year for Toronto. It's about mm-hmm. them seeing. I'm got, glad to see IQ Cook as a starting point guard. I think he can be a starting point guard in this league. I think RJ is going to thrive better next to Scotty Barnes. I think Toronto is going to be fine. I think it was a great trade for both teams, and I think you're already seeing it pay dividends on both ends, man. 100%. And, you know, when I look at the Knicks, you talk about star bringing another star in. They have two guys who could be all-stars this year, including the great Jalen Brunson, who is playing – incredibly but also julius randall who went through the wars of fighting with new york knickerbocker fans (laughs) he got toughened up by that experience and now they feel like even when he has his bad stretches he started off the season terrible yeah he did but once he found his spot once he realized i'm not an a guy i'm a b guy i'm probably the b guy jalen brunson's our leader and accepts that now do you have enough come off the bench to create like iq did when he was there to take that next step as a team. And that's you said about other moves, but all these guys, both Brunson and Randall, all-stars this year. I'd be stunned if Brunson's not an all-star. Stunned. Mm. I think Randall could get there. He's played at an all-star level. In fact, I'll go out and say this about Randall. I know people will say last year he was an all-star, second-team All-NBA. Two years before that, he was an all-star, second-team All-NBA. But I think the basketball he's playing right now is the best of his career. He's mm. been way more efficient. The three-point volume is down. He's been attacking the rim more. I think he's just been playing smarter. I think he's more at peace. Right. This is something he talked about on Media Day. I was there, and he talked about he'd worked on a lot of stuff with his mental health and meditation. And 
I just think he's more balanced. I see that in him. I think for him to get on, I think it's going to be a little bit tough at the forward position. I think for him to get on, the Knicks need to be probably solidified in the top four. Things are so bunched up in the East. So I think what the Knicks do over the next seven to 10 days is going to be really important in seeing who gets in. I'd be stunned if Brunson doesn't get on the team. I'd be absolutely shocked. I think he's his numbers are just too great. What he's shooting from three-point range, how efficient he's been. He's definitely one of the four best guards in the conference. I, I, I don't see, you know, you want to tell me Halliburton over him. I mean, maybe it's better a guard, guard season this year. I'm not sure where you where you can go after that. I mean, I know Trey Young's put up good numbers down in Atlanta, but they're not winning. But I, I Brunson, to me, has been right there. You're obviously going to have Dame in Milwaukee, mm. even though he's actually having a down Dame year. But he probably will, you know, he'll get an all-star because where the Bucks are on their record, he'll get a mm. nod. But I, I think Brunson's a lock. I mean, nothing's ever a lock. I'd be just, I'd be stunned if Brunson right. doesn't get it. I think he Randall's will because definitely, of the, Randall's yeah. definitely deserving, though, Will. Yeah, and I think he'll get the nod partially because Rayford Trey Young is in concussion protocol indefinitely. Right. Mm-hmm. And too. there's some time before the All-Star weekend and everything like that. We're about a month away from it. But Jalen Brunson, injury or not, is definitely one of the top three, four guards in the East and should get real consideration being added as a coach's pick. You won't go on fans vote, obviously, with the numbers where they are right now. Voting mm-hmm. ended last, what was that, Saturday for the fans. And now you have the, the media vote and also the players vote. And you never know. The players sometimes are hilarious for their voting. But yeah. staying in New York, you said they need to make a move, maybe a star. Who's that person you feel like can elevate them to that top tier where you have the Bostons and the Milwaukee's and just slightly under that, the Philadelphia's yeah, the see, reigning defending MVP of the league, Joel Hans and B. Yeah, so I'm not sure that guy's out there right now, Will. And I'm also not sure that the Knicks have to do this. Here's what I'll tell. I've been trying to tell Knicks fans this. The star coming on the Knicks is not going to happen this year at the trade deadline. It's right. not happening. I think there's Knicks fans that think it has to happen. Fans out there want DeJounte Murray. I'm not sure he's a good fit for the Knicks. I'm a big mm. who's a good fit guy, not just putting in a name. I like DeJounte Murray, so I just want to be very clear about something. I like DeJounte Murray. He's a pretty good two-way player. I don't think he's played as well in Atlanta as he did in San Antonio. The defense has been down a little bit. The shooting has been a little bit better. But I think if you put him in New York where he's next to another ball-dominant guard in Jalen Brunson, we've seen that not work so well in Atlanta. I don't right. think that's the fit. I think DeJounte Murray gets moved. I just don't think the Knicks are the fit for him. And some fans are going to be upset, I think, if and when that happens, because they're going to be like, oh, we lost another another name. Who's the guy on the market that's going to move the needle for the Knicks in terms of a star player? Zach Levine? Nope. Right. DeMar DeRozan? Nah. And I like DeMar DeRozan, but no, I don't I don't see He's it. a leader, though. He learned how to be a leader, which is crazy. And he learned that in San Antonio where DeJounte Murray might end up going back to. You back to, never which know. I don't think it's a bad move for San Antonio at all. I think that would mm-hmm. actually be a good move. The other names you're going to hear out there is Carlton Towns. I can tell you this, the Minnesota Timberwolves, they have no interest in t- trading Carlton Towns right now. They're at the top of the West. They're mm-hmm. playing good basketball. They've been playing good defense. They're going to see what that team is. That team is going to get expensive next season, and we'll see what happens with the new ownership there, and will they be willing to spend and go into luxury tax? That'll be interesting. Absolutely but not. 
I'll yeah. just say that right now. Absolutely not. You said they're not going to do it, which absolutely not. Hey, you know what's funny? That's a conversation for another day. But I'm All telling right. you, if that happens, that's going to be very disappointing for the Minnesota fans out there because they're very excited. I was out in Minneapolis right before Thanksgiving. I went to the Knicks game out there and I saw my man Michael Grady, who's a play-by-play voice of the Timberwolves there. And you know, the fan base out there was excited about the team. I was telling them, your team is good, they play defense. If they don't spend, well, then you shouldn't own the team. I'm sorry, right. like keep it, keep it, keep it a buck. Then don't own the team. But when I say all that, Conti Towns, like, who's the guy? Will Knicks fans want this person now? It's Donovan not going to happen. Donovan Mitchell. It's not going to happen this man. season. No, because that's one yep. of the hottest teams in the league right now. Seven in the row. Cleveland Cavaliers. Seven in a row. They've won. Right. They're not. The, the, the Cavs are not trading Donovan Mitchell this season. There, there may come a point where they have to, and it could be in the offseason, and the worst-kept secret in the world is that Donovan Mitchell wants to be in New York. Everybody right. knows this. But it's not happening. So what I think Knicks fans, and this is where Knicks fans can't be patient, and you know this well as a native New Yorker, this, the Knicks have been running competently. They've been making good moves. They've done some Somebody had to draft. get out of the way. Somebody had to get out of the way. Mm-hmm. Upstairs, mm-hmm. just saying. Mm-hmm. And then the interest that happens, you let basketball people make basketball decisions, and sometimes these things work out, right? Like, this, yes, is, this is what happens. They made competent moves. People don't – they haven't drafted a star recently, but they've had good draft picks that have turned into ability for them to make moves and have flexibilities. They signed Jalen Brunson, which is arguably the best free agent signing in the history of the franchise. When you look at the numbers, mm-hmm. they got them on the cheap. On the cheap. Do you, But, Will, do you remember people – asinine were saying that was a bad contract people were saying mm-hmm. this two summers ago people were literally saying this it's a fantastic it's one of now. it's one of the best free agents. Re-up. yes one of the best free agent signings in nba history that's yep. another thing not just history of the franchise one of the best free agent signings in nba history he's going to get paid after next season because he's definitely going to opt out and get the bag the knicks don't are not and it won't happen until next season they're not paying anybody a max salary they have good they don't have any bad contracts they have picks they've got flexibility they just went and got og ananobi they seem to understand the identity what fans i think where i see the impatient from a segment of knicks fans is that they believe that there is a trade that is going to just elevate them and the thing i tell people is that doesn't happen in the nba look at what will and i just talked about with denver people Mm. are going to look at that team what was there wasn't this one trade that just put them to the top remember when they got aaron gordon if i remember this correctly and that was the person we referenced. They had a good run after that. They went like seven and they went like eight of the next nine, something like that. They played well. And then Jamal Murray got hurt. And that sort of derailed everything that he was out for the year to wait for him to come back. But the foundation was building. When they got Jamal Murray back, you see what happens last year. But the Nuggets didn't panic. They didn't fire Mike Malone. They right. didn't make any ridiculous trades. They stuck with the process. The I'm going to say had- a, a, quiet addition, a quiet addition to that also was a guy with Championship DNA, KCP, Contavious mm-hmm. Caldwell Pope, mm-hmm. coming from the Lakers. There was a great acquisition for them. He knew his role. He understood his role. And he knew what it took to win a championship. It's hard to take that out of a lineup. That's why the Bruce Brown thing is so interesting. It but is was really interesting. Go ahead. The great Dexter Henry here on the open <laughs> run with Will Strickland. So come back for more on the other side of this.
You're now listening to the sounds of the open run with Will Strickland with the lectures conducted from the mic to the speaker in conversation with the great Dexter Henry here on the open run, sir. And if you didn't know, I throw a TV at you crazy. Word up the bandana pee. I'm thinking about Mob Deep because you're a shirt all day. Yeah, man. Right? Hey, you go. One of, one of my favorite albums, Infamous, man. Had to had to, had to rock. One of, you, you know, you, Will, you know that is hip-hop. Had one of the great hip-hop albums of all time. 100%. And... Right. When we talk about hipping and hopping, let's hop across the Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah. I mean, we'd be remiss to leave the tri-state area and not talk about the other team there, the Brooklyn Nets. Are they in a seller's market right now? Because they're in this place where they're trying to figure it out. Is Cam Thomas that guy? Is Mikhail Brooklyn Bridges that guy? What are they going to do in the middle with Nick Claxton? How do they elevate? I love Cam Johnson, but Cam Thomas seems to be the guy that wants to be the guy on that team. Is it realistic that they start to make some moves and start to, to blow that thing up with Jacques Vaughn still running the ship? Yeah, I think the next couple of weeks are very interesting for the Nets. You know, my my show, New York Got Game, which we talk about New York basketball, that dropped today, episode we're talking about, what's wrong with the Brooklyn Nets? And, you know, I was talking to Brian Lewis, my colleague who covers them for the New York Post, and a lot of it, and he pointed this out to me last night, is that a lot of it is just about they're not finishing games. You've got guys mm. not doing what they're supposed to do at the end of the game, not knowing assignments. This was a crazy quote to me from Mikhail Bridges. And when I say crazy, I mean, it's an alarming. It's one that kind of gets the antennas perked up. Uh, this was after they blew the 18-point lead to the Clippers on Sunday, and the mm. Clippers scored the final 22 points of the game. 22 points of the game, Will. 22-0 run. 22-0 run, right? Mikhail Bridges talked about the fact that guys did not know what they were supposed to be doing once the Clippers started switching everything. They didn't know what they were supposed to do. And it was like, that's a uh, that's a statement where it's like, mm, that might be an indictment on coaching. And I like Jacques Vaughn. It sounds like it. It sounds like it, right? As, as, as us who've hooped, we know, like, that's just not that. <laughs> when you start talking about you don't know what to do, you're not organized, that's not a good look. Mm. And, you, you know, where does the accountability fall on that? So I think that's one of the first things they got to look at, Will, is where does the accountability fall on that? And then it's what are you going to do? You know, Mikel Bridges uh, reports came out from Adrian Wojnarowski earlier this month that they still want to build around Mikel Bridges. I think we know Bridges is a really good player. He's not a number one. He's a no. really fantastic two-way player. He fits so well in the role in Phoenix. And I will give him credit. I think as his game has expanded, he's done more. It's been nice. But the Nets problem is they got to decide how where they want to go with this rebuild mm. because they've got some wings that are tradable in Royce O'Neal and Dorian Finney-Smith. I think the problem is, especially with Dorian Finney-Smith, he has another year in his contract. His contract is very friendly. They still think that they he can help them win. Mm. But the biggest problem for the Nets that we're not talking about is the Nets did all the stuff they did a couple of years ago. They got KD, they got Kyrie, they got James Harden. They traded all those people away. And when you talk about just James Harden, they traded him away, and all they got back is Ben Simmons, and Ben Simmons never plays. He still does not shoot the ball. He won't shoot the ball. And you have a guy making all that money that you're hoping could fit in around the pieces that you have, but we don't never see him. He's never healthy. There's he's no country shoot. for old men. Yeah. And I'm not saying that Ben is old, but in seven years in the league, he's played maybe 330 games total. And his trade value is damn near zero. Pretty much. Because they know the saga of Benjamin David Simmons probably ends in Brooklyn. He'll, I can't see someone saying, okay, we're going to take a flyer on Ben Simmons. If they can get him on the cheap, they will sign you to the league minimum just to have you on the bench. And, and like, why though? 
And that's the tough part. Sean Marks has an unenviable task mm-hmm. there in Brooklyn to deal with. Not only is Jacques Vaughn that guy, I think you. this is what happens oftentimes with black coaches in the league, too. And I, again, yeah, I, yes, I say black say coaches. It. Say it. That they get plugged into the rebuild, they build it up, and then when it gets built, they're gone, and someone else comes in to take the credit. I'm not saying you, Steve Kerr. I'm not saying you, Steve Kerr. <laughs> I didn't say that. It's word to Mark Jackson, Action Jackson, my guy. Mm-hmm. But that happens. And you, Chauncey Billups, same thing out in Portland. Now, here's a guy who's a bona fide winner in the NBA who was a great early draft pick who ended up figuring it out in the NBA, found his home, and then is trying to find that same footing as a coach in Portland. Will John Vaughn see his way through this? I don't know. Are you sa- I- are, are you saying, well, are you in saying all that, are you kind of saying maybe Sean Mark should be on the hot seat here for real? Like maybe we need to start looking at the job he has or hasn't done. What I do think it's fair to question what has he done really well through his tenure? I mean, yes, he navigated the team post the KG Paul Pierce trades where Boston owned all the swaps and then got him back to uh competitive respectability and they got Katie and Kyrie. That was a mess. Who does that fall on? It falls on Sean Marks. And at this point, right. it feels like he's rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. At what point <laughs> I like do you that. make a serious inquiry about what you're going to be and who you're going to be? And Joe Shai's done a great job with the Liberty and everything else. Amazing job. He's going to do the same thing with the Nets. We're going to find out. And speaking about that, we talked about the draft being a two-day affair in Brooklyn uh. at the Barclays Center. I don't know how that's going to work, much like I don't know how it's going to work with Sean Marks there. But I'm looking forward to seeing what happens there. Hopefully, we can connect. I'm hoping to come out there. Yo, come, the when, you, when you come down, man, I'll, I'll be I'll be, yeah, I'll be there. I live not too far from the Barclays. So I'll be there. No doubt. But I, I spoke about the Liberty a little bit. The hottest kicks in the game right now are not Kobe's. Bless them. We'll talk about Kobe next week for sure. Four years since his passing. Yes. Uh, or the hashtag he who shan't be named. You know who that is because I can't say his name in the air because guys get too emotional by his name. When they're trying to protect the legacy of St. Michael Jeffrey of Wilmington. I'll oh, leave it at that. Got you. And Sabrina Unescu's shoes. Yeah. As they've been marketed by Nike or the first unisex sneaker, I, I don't get that. Women wear Jordans too. Like, well, whatever. Yeah, why well, can't must be working. Way. Yeah, I never The marketing that. must be working because guys are wearing those shoes and I think that's dope. The guys yeah. are rocking a woman's signature sneaker in the NBA, and it's easily one of the hottest, most customizable kicks in the league yeah. as well. Yeah, I think it's dope, man. I personally, I well, I like the kicks, right? So, like, I like that one. I think it's dope. I think it also shows how times are changing. We always talk about that support for women's sports. This is big. Like, are we going to support the kicks? Are we going to support the apparel? I'm talking when I say we, I mean men. Mm-hmm. Are we going to do that, right? Like, is is that going to happen? I think seeing players do it helps normalize certain things. You know, I think that's something that's happening with the WNBA. Well, you know, I take my daughter to Liberty Games, and she loves it there. She can also go. We also go to Nick Games and, and things like that. We're going to go to Nick Game tomorrow. But one of the things I love seeing, because I think it comes cliche, they're like, oh, dad's taking his daughter to the right. Liberty Game, and that's cool. But when I see fathers taking their sons, moms with their sons, I'm seeing – young men cheer for these fantastic hoopers that are women i Mm. think that's so dope that's really pushing it because that wasn't the crowd at WNBA games even 15 years ago even 10 years ago it still was very female heavy 
Now you're seeing everybody there. And that's a good thing for the league. I cannot speak well enough as I have over the past two years about the atmosphere at the Barclays Center around the Liberty. It has been tremendous. The energy was crazy last year. Can't wait for the season to start. But yeah, back to the kicks. This is huge. I don't think we're talking about this enough. It's huge because, and you made a great point, it's always been the other way. You see women are wearing Air Maxes, they're wearing Jordans, they're wearing Dunks, they're wearing all this stuff that are men's shoes, specifically made for men. Not, not that some of those shoes don't make them for women because they do, but we've definitely seen women wearing men's shoes. Why haven't we seen it the other way around? This their kicks, dope kicks or dope kicks. Right. That's how it's always been, right? I like it's always been from a, a signature standpoint, though. And it's just recently that, I mean, since Cheryl Swoops had her sneaker, yeah. I don't remember people wearing those sneakers out in the streets. Nah, I, don't I don't remember, remember that either. Male ball players wearing those sneakers. But now when you see them rocking Stewie's, Stewie's, yeah. Or they're, Stewie's or, or they're rocking Elena Deladon's, or even the shoe that Asia Wilson was rocking. Yep. Those things mean something. And to see you, Sabrina Inescu, like when I saw Arizona had their custom kicks, the University of mm-hmm. Arizona Wildcats, they're rocking them. I'm like, oh. I need that custom. I need that joint, right? And it's like you said, it's about kicks, but the fact that it's a woman doing that, I think it's a great thing. And, of course, it doesn't hurt to be the second-best team in the WNBA. Oh, that's, yeah. That's that's huge. I mean, you that's got huge. Stewie, you got John Cole Jones, you yeah. got Sabrina Nescu, Benaja Laney. You have a great team there. And they're definitely going to be back in the mix this year coming up to challenge for a WNBA title. Yeah, I mean, I, it's it's hard to see it not being between them and the Aces next year. I'm excited for the upcoming WNBA season. I'll be talking a lot about that. So actually, next episode of my show, basketball show, we'll be talking some Liberty offseason stuff. So I'm I'm excited for that. The Liberty is. I can tell you this: that team was disappointed really about losing that finals, and I think they're going to come back with a vengeance. They're going to be like very that, focused this year. I like but, that. You know, you we need count- these kinds of rivalries in the WNBA, I think. Oh, yeah, we do. But don't count. I mean, there's no reason that Vegas can't three-peat because that team still has all the continuity. They're not losing any players due to the Olympics. There's a lot of continuity with that team, and I like a lot. And I, it, it's hard to see them not being the two-best team. But we'll see what happens with free agent because a lot of interesting things. Skylar Diggins is coming back. Skylar Where Diggins. she goes, there's a lot of interesting things in the WNBA, man. A lot of let's not disrespect things. the other team in the tri-state area, the Connecticut Sun. Sun. Yeah, who are good third best team in the league in my opinion yeah i think they were the third best team in the league for most of the season you know Alyssa tom Alyssa thomas who's an absolute MVP. beast and was my mvp you had it for you know it's funny i know some people who voted on mvp and had her i think what, what that tells me will when you told me you voted her for mvp it tells me that you probably look at mvp the same way i do in a lot of ways where it's that if you took this person off this team where would they be? Speaks the value, sir. Yeah. As much as in New York, I know people wanted Brianna Stewart, who had a fantastic season. And I think this was probably one of the tightest MVP races. And you yeah. could have made a case for Asia Wilson, who also defensive player of the year, was so good on both sides of the ball. But Alyssa Thomas, if you took her and all the triple double she was getting off of Connecticut, they are not a playoff team. They are, they are not. You know what I mean? They had lost, they had lost their top guard. Um, and they, that's where they can be strong next year too. So, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't think that was crazy. I know some people who voted for her too, and for that same reasoning. So, yeah, I don't think that's crazy. Well, I'm looking forward to WNBA season, and yes, also sir. just knowing how great these players are 
When you think about the WNBA being around for 28 years now, going to the 28th season, mm -hmm. there was a stat that came out the other day about the hashtag Hugh Shan't Be Named has actually faced 35% of the players who ever played in NBA history. That yeah. number seemed nuts to me. He's in his 21st season. I'm like, wow, that's wild. That's one of the craziest stats I heard. But then you know what's crazy? When you think about it, right? And you're like, okay, the NBA has been around for 77 years. Yeah. And he who shall not be named has been playing for 2021 years, right? Mm-hmm. It kind of makes sense and all and, and rosters expanding and all the things that we've seen happen mm. with rosters over the years. You're kind of like it makes it makes it's crazy. Like it's that one that jumps off to you, like, damn, that's crazy. 35% of the that league means, he's played against. If you say that roughly, just for the sake of conversation, five thousand guys have ever played in the NBA, and that he's played against almost eleven hundred of those guys, that's nuts. That is, it's nuts. It's a, and, and that we also marvel at how good he's still playing at his age. It was a testament to his greatness for how long, also how young he came into the league. That's a factor mm. too. So nobody has done those things. So right. I think, always think about LeBron's legacy when people get into the whole, I said his name, when people get into the debate between him and, and MJ and all this stuff. And, you know, some people like leaving out Kareem and all that. You, you got to respect the longevity and what he's been able to do at such a high level for so long and all he's faced. That is a crazy stat. But it's one of those things like when you stop for a second and just think about it, you're like, oh, that yeah, kind of makes sense. It, yeah, it's wild to me. But he's going to be one of those guys like Shaquille Rashawn O'Neal, the doctor Shaquille mm -hmm. Rashawn O'Neal, who is about to get his third jersey retired in the NBA. Only one other person in the history of the league has done that. That's Wilton Norman Chamberlain. Yep. But I have a question because they're going to do that. I think when, I don't remember the date they're doing that in Orlando for Shaq. They're retiring number 32. But there was a debate on the Gilbert Arenas podcast about this where he said Dwight David Howard had a better career in Orlando than Shaq did. And I started thinking about it. I'm like, he might have a point. Both of them took their teams to the NBA Finals. Mm -hmm. Both of them beat arguably the greatest player who ever played to get there. Because oh, I forgot, you know, that 95 season doesn't count. Um, for <laughs> my bad, my bad, my bad. So I'll skip over that. But, you know, arguably beat those two guys to get there. And Dwight Howard was a three-time defense player of the year Brady. there. Rebound champion. I mean, Shaq went to the finals one time and was rookie of the year there. So, I mean, depending upon the weight, and how you look at their accolades during their time there, some of those things wash themselves out. But there's an argument to be made about Dwight Howard being better than Shaq in Orlando. And how many years was what Shaq was in Orlando for? What Shaq five? was there for four years. Four years. Yeah, he and went Dwight to was LA there for in, what, in, seven. In, um, yeah, seven. So yeah, it's close. I it's I don't I'm not mad if somebody says Dwight. Like, right. I'm not mad at that. It also, like, this is one of these arguments where, like, people are going to get caught up in their feelings about it, and it doesn't take anything away from Shaq, mm. who is the better player. It doesn't take anything away from him if you say that. Dwight also, I think, gets a lot of slander, and people don't recognize, like, some people don't think Dwight Howard's a Hall of Famer. They're out of their mind. He's he should have been top 75. Yeah. What'd you say? He should have been top 75. I don't think that's crazy. Not at all whatsoever. Yeah. The guy's a three-time defensive player of the year. He's making the Hall of Fame. Trust me, guys. Guys, he was a great, a great center. 
even when you look at the back end of his career, how good he was defensively, even on the last Lakers championship team, how good that helped he was him push him over the top to me. Top two, yeah. But he was he was integral to that team. I mean, him and Javel McGee were playing really good ball, fantastic defense. Dwight Howard, Dwight Howard's a Hall of Famer, whether people like that or not. He's I don't know if they beat the Nuggets in the bubble without Dwight Howard. His physicality on Joker, yeah, was key. They knew they had at least twelve fouls in that bench with him and Javel. So I don't know. I think it's a compelling argument to be had. You could you could definitely say that Dwight was even had like. I mean, because he was there longer, it's three more years. That does matter. Like Shaq, what I will say is like Shaq coming in the league in '92, his Dwight impact came in at 18. The white came in at 18. Shaq That's true. That's 20, a good 21. point. Now Shaq's impact was crazy at 21. Like he came in mm-hmm. and was like, just we never seen man. anything that big move around that fluidly. Right. That, that fast. fluidly. That fast. Like no, we didn't see anything like that at that time. You know, I remember mm-hmm. that at that time. And and Dwight, I just think Dwight Dwight is, is what I call, I'm calling him a Hall of Famer. He's almost an underrated Hall of Famer that I don't think people are, pre, are gonna appreciate enough because um, he's a goofy. Let's keep it a buck. No, nah, he's a but, goofy, but, and people see him that way. Yeah, but it's fine. Miss what he's done in the court. Yeah, because I don't care. He is goofy. But who cares? He's he was dominant <laughs> on the court, man. Right. And you know, Kobe Kobe kind of called him out that one time, and everybody's gonna run with it. But Soft. yeah, call him so. And once Kobe said that, it probably was a wrap for him on that on that kind of essence but no nah, man dude i look i'm looking to talking strictly about what he does on the court not yes, what he does off the court you know not how many kids he has and all the stuff don't care about any of that stuff look at you <laughs> dirty <laughs> well you know some people are gonna factor that in i'm not people, people ridiculous out here you know that 100 <laughs> but look man i i know that i have to let you go soon but i did want to talk about some of the games of the week what i do yeah. each and every week is the power 10 to talk about the rankings this week for the NBA, there were some great playoff-level games this past week where they're talking about yeah. Phoenix and Sacramento. Uh, again, you talk about the 22 points. Mm-hmm. There were, Sacramento was up 22 points with eight minutes-plus left in the fourth quarter, and they lost. Yeah, Nobody's overcome that kind of deficit since the bubble, and teams that were down 22 points in the fourth were 0-1,244. Now so well, one. now it's not one and <laughs> so shout out to Phoenix, one of the if you want to say one of the hottest teams in the league, one hundred percent. They're yeah. starting to figure it out. They're still very top heavy. Their bench scored nine points last night. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get ninety one from the big three. Kevin Durant scored forty and didn't go with a free throw line. What? That's crazy. That's crazy. But, but that's not going to happen every night, especially for a yeah. playoff game, right? That's and that's where my concern. I, I am a Phoenix skeptic. I'm mm-hmm. a Phoenix skeptic because what you said, they're too top heavy. I don't love their bench and their top guys are generally always hurt. Now, since Beal has come back, you can see how it's unlocked a lot of things for them offensively and they look dangerous, right? And mm-hmm. they got bench going or Grayson Allen is on fire and Grayson Allen is open and can hit the shots he can. They're dangerous. I don't trust their bench enough in big time spots. And are you going to run these guys in the ground just trying to get into the top four or five in the West? Right. And then what happens come the postseason? I have concerns, Will, about, about the depth of that team. I think we're in a league now where you don't need three stars. It's nice if you do, but then what's the rest of what you have? And I, I, I always felt that way. I thought Phoenix made one move too many. Look, I get it. It's fun. The kids like New playing. Ownership. They had to make a splashy move. Yeah, I mean, but did they see? I mean, man, Ishbia, 
that's the thing with those new owners. They come in yeah. and they're like, I got to make a move. And it's like, but did you? You know, I I don't I understand Aiden was not the vibes were not good there around Aiden, and then he got rid of Monty Williams, which I still don't understand. No shade to Frank Vogel, who's a very good coach, but I still didn't understand that move. So it's like they tried to make a shakeup, but I'm not sure they made it for the better. That's all I'm saying. I'm not sure that shakeup happened for the better. Look, it, whatever the case is, I think they're going to be okay. You, you talked about a team that's not so top heavy that has depth and size and experience and with an owner who is a nut, but you need him in the NBA and Steve Ballmer. The Clippers are playing fantastic basketball right now. You talked about them coming back with a 22 nothing run uh, against Brooklyn. They beat OKC, one of the top teams in the West. And Paul George went nuts in the second half. He had 28 points, 38 for the game. They showed OKC the difference between playing the game and knowing how to win when it counts the most. That's going to be the key for them to do that in the playoffs. You talk about Denver and, and Philadelphia, the two last MVPs playing against each other. Nicola Jermaine, that's J apostrophe M A Y N E, Jokic. There you go. 25 and 19. You that. Joel Hahn. Oh, I, you know, I give all the Slavic guys middle names because they don't have them. Like Lucas, <laughs> Lucas' middle name is Lamar with two R's. Right? <laughs> I like that. I love that they have the middle names that nobody would ever think they'd have that you've just given to them. 100%. <laughs> Right. And Joel and B, I mean, come on, 41, seven and 10 assists. So that was a big game. And he told Joker he was the best player in the league after that. But that was a playoff game. And some of oh, you yeah. want to see that as a finals matchup. Then you see Denver and Boston and you saw the championship DNA kick in there. Right. When they knew how to close the game. And this is one of the issues that a lot of people have with Boston is that they, they are front runners. And when they get in tight situations, can they finish? I mean, Derek White saved them last year. Jason Tatum falters late. He must be a Duke guy. Just saying. I'll leave oh, that. man. Oh, I, that's, yeah, hey, that's me. That's, that's me. Awesome. I understand. I understand and the Duke hate, though. Two young teams in the West played this past Saturday in OKC in Minnesota. And again, OKC kind of owns that situation right now. The defense was great. Shakos Alexander easily a top. It, it, you know, we have the possibility of having the first all international, all NBA team ever. Because you don't have to do positions anymore. Right. So imagine it being SGA, Luca, Giannis, Ugo, LaTerrence. I gave him LaTerrence. He's in, he's in Milwaukee. Terrence for Giannis. LaTerrence, no doubt. And you have Joel Embiid and, and Nikola Jokic. Imagine yeah. that. Yeah. Well, yeah, Americans are not going to be happy about that. But I always say step your game up. That's all it is. You got to step your game up. You hit on a lot of stuff there. The Celtics, who I think have the best top six of any team. Mm -hmm. But I still think you're right about the toughness and when it's challenged, particularly in Jason Tatum, who I like Jason Tatum. I think sometimes you forget how young he is. He's mm -hmm. only, you know, 25, 26 years old. You forget He's how been young he seven years. Right. And he still has time to figure this out. But I think Boston Celtics, if the a lot of it is health. The Clippers should not be – listen, I did not know how this James Harden thing was going to work, but they look good. They look like they understand their identity. I wish more people understood how good of a coach Ty Lue is. Ty Lue was about and give Ty stats Lewis. to Russell Westbrook, too, for, for being the one who raised his hand and said, Coach, I'll sit down so we can and, flourish. And is bought in. I, know, I'm a, I was always a Russell Westbrook fan. Russell Westbrook can't shoot. But I was always a fan about how he played the game and how mm -hmm. he bought in. I think people called him selfish, and I thought that was always wrong. Uh, I think this guy is a winner. I think he plays hard. He wants to win. He's one of the reasons you'd like to see that team win. Um, I think well, that I'm, team I'm is. Not, I'm not a Clippers fan at all. 
What'd you say? I'm not a Clippers fan at all. No, I understand that. There's a, there's been, as, as my whole friend Jackie Ray would say, uh, out there in LA, it's just Lakers fans and there's other people that do other things, right? Like, people, <laughs> nobody, no, she always, she's like, nobody goes to those games. But I think that team is finding their identity. What you're saying, Will, without saying it is, what you're worried about is, are the Clippers going to clip? That's the thing. Are the yes, Clippers going to clip come playoff time? We've seen this movie before. We understand this. Are they going to clip? But the way they're playing, the way they can switch a lot, the way they can play defense, the way Harden has been in control, the way they've unlocked Zubak. Zubak's been amazing with these pick-and-roll situations with Harden and how good he's looked. I know he's injured right now. But I like I like the way they're playing. I mean, I like their sneaky, coach. Sneaky Who? good pickup. Daniel Tice? Daniel Tice. Yes, sneaky. yes. Listen, playoff experience, world championship experience, and you have Mason Plumley. You got some fouls. You got some bodies that can put in front of Joker and and Anthony Marshawn Davis Jr. and all those guys. I'm just saying. And that's what you got to think about in the West. Is I, I don't care if you're Minnesota. I mean, that's what could work for Minnesota if you're OKC. There's two young mm-hmm. teams. It's really Denver's still the team to beat in my eyes. They're yep. still good. They got a championship medal. I think they're just on. They're on cruise control. But they're they're the team to beat. Look, all we're saying is this year in the NBA is fun, man. I I know some people like hard. I like when NBA is like this. I like when it's open. Competitive balance means something. Yeah, I love it. I I love it. As somebody who loves the league, I love it, man. And I I just think there's so many good young players. The league is as talented as ever been. Don't listen to the people out there that are like, oh, nobody plays defense in the NBA anymore and all the stuff. People don't understand basketball. I'm going to tell you right now, but let me run this power 10 on you real quick. Yeah, me with the power 10, yes. At number one, we got the Celtics. At two, the OKC Thunder. At three, the Sixers. Mm-hmm. Big week for them. The Nuggets at number four. Firmly ensconced in the middle, like you said. They're on cruise control. They just want to be healthy coming into the playoffs and defend their title. The Timberwolves fell back a little bit this week. Those losses in about the past eight days twice to um, OKC. OKC. been a whole lot. The Bucks still trying to figure it out defensively. They're one of the worst teams defensively in the league, and they have Giannis and Brooke Lopez down there. I don't get it. But Chris Middleton looks a little bit older. It's tough. The offense will not carry them later on. Maybe they make a move and get Leak Beasley out of there. So at number six, the Bucks. At number seven, the Clippers. Going to keep clipping. Clips at number eight, the hottest team in the league in the East, the Cavaliers. Cavaliers. New York Knickerbockers. Um, and I'm off of my count. But what I'm not off on is having the great Dexter Henry on the show. Dexter, let the people know on these rough interweb streets where they can find you, sir. Uh, you can find me on all social media platforms at DHenryTV. Oh, check out the SNY and New York Post YouTube channel. Hit the subscribe button there. You can see my work. Uh, check that out, but give me a follow. Appreciate it. Uh, and, well, we got to do this again, man. 100%. Let me know. We're going to make it so. Thank yes, you, sir. sir. We'll do it. It's now winning time on the open run. Will Strickland. I want to thank my man, Dexter Henry, for coming through and spreading love. It is the Strickland way. And of course, with no further ado, it's time to give you the news, news, and truth you choose on the NCAA and beyond. Shouts out to Mark Few, head coach of the Gonzaga Bulldogs out there in Spokane, Washington, for being the second fastest coach in Division I basketball history to achieve 700 wins. He did it in 840 games. No Drew Tenney. Where is he today? Everybody thought the YMCA player who looked like he was 40, so playing college basketball was going to make it to the NBA. He's on the roster somewhere. Just doesn't get to play. Never know. Might have a chance. 
Biggs, who can shoot and pass, he just has no foot speed whatsoever. But neither does the Joker. And I'm not making that comparison. So forget about it. But salute to Mark Few. As going to Power 5 on the men's side. Now to refresh, last week, our Power 5 looked like this. At number 1, UConn. At number 2, UNC. At number 3, University of Kentucky. At number 4, Purdue. And at number 5, Kansas University. This past weekend... The top 10 ranked teams in the country were facing off against unranked teams and I was trying to figure out who was going to be upset. But I'm hard-pressed to call these things upsets when there is, and I don't want to call it parity in college basketball, just a lack of teams or a team that stands out far and above others. Does it make it more competitive? Yeah, there's some competitive balance for sure, but it doesn't invigorate the fans to the degree that I think it should because there are no outstanding stars, despite the fact that these kids all have their own social media pages and social media followings and NIL and I don't know. Are the schools less invested in creating the stars? Is the media less invested? They have to start getting invested soon. Marches around the corner and the madness will begin. I don't know who to blame that on, but this past weekend, as I said, I was looking for the upsets. Did I find one at number one? Absolutely not, though it got close. Dan Hurley's UConn Huskies Almost lost to Villanova 66 to 65. I know almost only counts in hand grenades and horseshoes, but it's something to be concerned about. Donovan Klingon is necessary and needed, not only for his potential draft status, but also for the Huskies to try and repeat as national champions. At number two, Hubert Davis's Tar Heel squad ensconced at number two. There's nothing like being ensconced. At number three, Purdue. Good week for Purdue. Stepped up, jumped over UK. And UK hasn't had a bad week. Don't get me wrong. Just that Purdue was more impressive with the victories they had. Although the University of Kentucky, who are now my number four team, just added a star young Croatian player by the name of Zvonimir Isovic, who was fighting with the NCAA about his eligibility. He's now eligible. I saw the game against Georgia where first play of the game. Guy tries to dunk on him and test him. He blocks that stuff. Get that shit out of here. Well, the rich got richer as the University of Kentucky has three guys who are considered by many to be first-round draft picks in the NBA, and they come off the bench. Here's this kid coming in. It's going to be scary come the conference tournament time and the tournament. John Calipari always going to have his team in the mix. But this week at number four and number five, as Kansas got stomped out in Morgantown by West Virginia, 91-85. to The number five team this week, the Houston Cougars of Kelvin Sampson, back in the mix again. Welcome back to the party. They shut down Johnny Dawkins, University of Central Florida Knights, 57-42, and they shot a great grand total of 15.9% from the field. That is not a typo. It's not a mistake. That was an ugly game, but a great defensive game, depending upon your lens. But real excitement, as I said, and it's not to knock the men. I'm just more excited about what the women do, and you should be more than excited and send a salute to the great Tar Vanderveer the Hall of Fame coach of the Stanford Cardinal for her 1,203rd win, breaking the all-time record for Division I coaches, men or women, of Mike Krzyzewski from Duke. Salute to her. There's a list that was going around talking about the greatest players in Tara Vanderveer's Stanford coaching history, from Candace Wiggins and Jennifer Azey to, of course, Neka and Chene Ogumake, Cameron Brink, Haley Jones. They're all in there, but salute to coach. 1,203. Next up on that list, Gino Oriema at 1,195, if I'm not mistaken. 
And what in the name of Georgianne Wells, the first woman 40 years ago this past week to get a dunk in a college basketball game? Yes, before Cheryl Miller, before Lisa Leslie, now Ashlyn Watkins from the University of South Carolina with a dunk in the game against the University of Kentucky. As we move into our Power Five, they have so many weapons down there in Columbia. Don Staley, they're not moving from number one right now. Let me review what we had last week in the Power Five on the women's side. Of course, South Carolina at one, Iowa at number two, Colorado at three, the other USC, University of Southern California at four, and UCLA, UCLA at number five. This week, a little shuffle. South Carolina's on a 17-game losing strike. That's not going to end anytime soon, I don't think. But right now, they're rolling. They haven't lost since March Madness of last year. So it's been quite a while. At number two, the Iowa Hawkeyes were upset by the number 18 team. The Ohio State Buckeyes of Cody McMahon, she had 33-12 and 12 against a 45-point outing of the number one player in college basketball, men or women. Caitlin Clark, who had a blocked charge, shouts out to Rex Chapman, moment on the court. Post-game, the upset Ohio State fans running down the court and one inadvertently ran into Caitlin Clark as she was leaving the court. We had to figure out whether it's a block or a charge. That's a dangerous situation. I get it. The excitement of winning a big game. It wasn't an NCAA tournament game, but I was pretty dominant in the Big Ten. And for the Buckeyes to win that game, their fans got excited. It's a dangerous thing that might have to be addressed with the fans rushing the floor. One of those things that maybe can be avoided. Hopefully, Caitlin Clark is okay. But they lost because at number two, the UCLA Bruins. Charisma Osborne, Kiki Rice, and of course, Lauren Betts doing their thing out there. First, they beat Colorado, who was ranked number three at the time, and now they're going to drop down a little bit. Colorado at number four this week, even though they lost to UCLA, they beat the number five team in the country. The Pac-12 is serious. Three of my top five teams are in the Pac-12, as a matter of fact, as Colorado defeated Juju Watkins and the Trojans of Southern California, 63-59. to Juju had 22, but... Quade Miller and Jalen Sherrod led the Buffaloes in that game. They're going to be a tough out, and they could be a number one seed as we start to get our brackets together for March Madness. And at number five, a new entrant into our Power Five this week, the Kansas State University Wildcats of Ioka Lee, who's out for four weeks with ankle surgery, but they are on a 13-game losing strike. That's right, 1-3 to round out our top five for this week. But before we get out of here, the impermanence of all living things. I was reminded of when I spoke about the bright light of Dejan Milojevic being extinguished at such a young age, 46 years, and how my own mortality comes into play. When I think about my dear old dad, blessed dead, not making 50. So every minute I live beyond that, to me, is like a bonus, it's like a gift. And what I do with that time means something to me. It's the most expensive commodity, no doubt, is time. And I remember at a high school banquet, an awards banquet, for the athletics department. I was getting awards and whatever, and I made a speech. And I said, can I get everyone in here to raise their glasses or cups or whatever they have? Because I want to make a toast. And I said, here's to the best years of my life spent in the arms of another man's wife. And everybody was like, oh my goodness, what is he saying? And I said, I'm talking about my mother. The beginning, the genesis, also has to have a revelation. It was a good joke, though. I liked it. I always think about my friends now and people I care about now and 
I make a toast that goes like this. May I live a hundred years and you a hundred years in a day. So I never have to see good people like you go away. And whatever you do with your time, no matter how you think about it, what this life is, whether you love basketball or not, find something you're willing to die for. Like guys, I'll run through a wall of fire for this coach. Sounds sweet to say, but we know you won't. Find something you're willing to die for and then live for it. Until next week, as we do, do remember, do what's popular with the population. Make sure you don't get beat off the dribble and keep listening to The Open Run with Will Strickland. Rich kid, my mellow, my man, do what you do when you do it, sir, on this snowy day. Easy.